For these next few weeks, I'm speaking here in chapel on the doctrine of providence. I've never myself heard a series on providence uh, preached in church, so I decided I'd give it a shot. Uh, partly as well, I'm speaking at an AFES student conference at Easter uh, in Sydney, so this is my dry run. <laughs> I'd love to hear feedback from you as we go along, both in terms of the content or uh, the delivery, because I'm wanting to do this well. Let me pray. Oh, please, uh, dear Heavenly Father, may we today know your closeness. May we understand your care. And may we live to bless others from that dear experience of you. Uh, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love listening to testimonies in church, though I fear it's on the way out. We do it less and less. Not only is it a great encouragement, but it's one of the things that evangelical Christians have majored on for a few centuries. It's one of our great distinctives. But beyond just the encouragement that comes from hearing another brother or sister's story, I love listening to testimonies because through them we gain an insight into how a Christian thinks about the way God works. How does God work in the world? We might have theoretical answers, but when we share a testimony, we're actually unpacking some of the deepest assumptions about how God works, whether his work is direct or indirect, whether his work is chiefly centred around him being father or son or spirit, whether his work is primarily in our hearts or perhaps in our minds or perhaps working on our will. How does God relate to evil or suffering. These all get expressed when we share our testimony. The way God provides for us in our personal walk, in our personal experience, is to describe God's providence. Don really helpfully used both words in his sharing with us this morning. So why give some sermons on providence? Well, I'd like you to give your testimonies better to communicate more thoughtfully about what God has done in your life. But more than that, without understanding providence, we are like corks on the sea, tossed around, vulnerable to any number of pressures that the world throws up. Without providence, everything is fog, confusion, panic, or driven by fears. But with a self-conscious belief in the doctrine of providence, we can work out how God's at work in our lives, even when it seems foggy. And importantly, with And I'm saying of providence, we develop a sense of stability. Yes, there might still be fog, but beyond the fog we see the lighthouse who guides us around the dangers of the rocks. 
if you can think self-consciously, if you can work out what the doctrine of providence means for you, you're probably going to better deal with mental health concerns. Your first major traumatic experience before you're 30. Global pandemics. You'll better be able to deal with the fact that the person who led you to Christ has stopped being a Christian herself. You'll be able to let some dreams die. You'll be able to deal with the fact that some significant caregiver you didn't feel attached to. With the doctrine of providence, you'll find a stronger identity and manage with resources the unjust suffering we face. You see, with the doctrine of providence, we train ourselves to see how God's hand is in the events around us. And it's only when you've seen God's hand that you can take hold of God's hand and be guided. We need to be able to see, to learn how to think about what God's doing in our lives, in our world, in our circumstances. The best possible Christian life is a stable Christian life. Not running around without direction, but walking slowly with purpose. Don't you love Psalm 121? A believer is on pilgrimage, travelling from their home to Jerusalem for, for a temple festival perhaps. This psalm of ascent describes what this pilgrim experiences of God in the daily grind. I lift up my eyes to the mountains, to the hills. Where does my help come from, this pilgrim is asking. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, We're inclined to be a little bit romantic about this and assume that we look to the mountains and get good vistas and beautiful views. It might be, of course, that the pilgrim on the way to Jerusalem looks up onto the mountains and sees the high places, sees shrines or pagan prostitution, hears incantations, is offered lots of distractions from their journey, we, we incline to think that looking to the mountains means we're looking at something beautiful. But Jeremiah, Jeremiah in 3.23 reminds us, Truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. No, actually, the psalmist doesn't look to the mountains for help. How ridiculous. The psalmist looks to the Lord, the maker of the mountains. The psalmist is looking for God's help on the journey. 
So how is the psalmist helped? Well, eight times in this psalm, the Lord is described as our keeper. The word keeper appears in in eight occasions, though sometimes in this translation, the word itself is disguised. The Lord is our keeper. The Lord is our guardian. The Lord is the one who takes care of us. The same word that's used in Genesis 2.15 to describe Adam's role in the garden. The Lord is our keeper. He plays close attention to us. He knows us. He will not let your foot slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The psalmist expects that God will keep him constantly, day and night, standing guard, not like the prophets of Baal expected of their own priests, their own gods. Perhaps they were asleep and didn't listen to their calling out in 1 Kings 18. No, the Lord who made the heavens and the earth is awake constantly. He has sleepless nights, so we don't have to. He provides around-the-clock protection. How wonderful to think that God, our maker, works constantly, even if we don't see it. The prayer I pray most often for myself, perhaps not every day, but most days, is this. That God would keep out of my life people who harm me or distract me as a Christian, damage me. But that God would bring into my life every day people who would affirm me in healthy and godly ways. And I've entrusted my soul to God the Lord, my keeper. And he's abundantly answered that prayer. He's not just at work when something dramatic is happening. He's constantly at work. And it's not just that he's constantly at work behind the scenes. He's working powerfully. He's the Lord, the one who makes covenant with his people. He keeps us from all evil, from evil in every part of my life. Verse 5, the Lord watches over you. The Lord's your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. From your going out till your coming in, from the beginning of your day to the end of your day, from the beginning of your pilgrimage to the end of your pilgrimage, from your moment of birth to the moment of your death. There's no part of your life where God isn't concerned or actively powerful in sometimes dramatic ways. I remember when I was living 
uh, as a student in Germany some years ago. I was running late to catch a train. I had to catch the tram first. And so I did the most foolish thing I think I've ever done. I got down to the tracks and decided to walk across them so I could get up onto the platform on the other side. With a backpack on, this was probably always going to be a stupid thing to do. Yes, I did trip so that my legs were on one set of tracks and my arms on the other set of tracks. And yes, I was like a turtle who couldn't get up because of my backpack. And yes, there were two trams arriving at the station from either direction. And yes, both slammed on their brakes and missed my arms or legs respectively by a matter of metres. Yes, I felt like a fool when every person on the platform was cursing me in German. (laughs) Yes, I felt like a fool when I got into the tram and the tram driver over the PA system cursed me as a stupid tourist. So I immediately get my Bible. I'm trying to find the psalm that David wrote when he almost fell under a tram. (laughs) And I didn't think to go to Psalm 121. But effectively... Psalm 121 is reminding me of God's powerful presence keeping me from all harm watching over my life in every moment and it's not just that God does this by sending an angel or a friend or an army the psalm makes God the subject of each verb. It's the Lord who's directly involved doing things. He's the shade between me and the burning sun. He's the shade between me and the dangerous moon. He's got my back. Of course, biblical faith is not trusting in some impersonal force. God isn't distant or absent-minded. When he gives us a gift, he gives us himself. God works constantly and God works powerfully and God works personally as we learn from this psalm. And when you read conversion stories from Christian history, you'll see some of these beautiful truths from Psalm 121 well illustrated. Listen to this couple of sentences from Jonathan Edwards' conversion. As I was walking there in the fields near my father's house, and looked up on the sky and clouds, there came into my mind a sweet sense of the glorious majesty and grace of God that I know not how to express. I seem to see them both in a sweet conjunction. Majesty and meekness joined together. It was a sweet and gentle, a holy majesty, a majestic meekness, an awful sweetness, a high and great and holy gentleness. The appearance of everything was altered. Now our psalmist knows that there are dangers on the road. The psalmist knows that life isn't just a bed of roses. But the psalmist has learnt, 
to see the world as if God were close and powerful and constantly working for our good. No wonder Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6 that we shouldn't be anxious about food or clothes because our Heavenly Father watches over us. He's our keeper. He protects us. He provides for us, which, of course, is the heart of what providence is about. We have, brothers and sisters, a Father in Heaven who has our best interests at heart. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows what I need better than I know what I need. If you go up a mountain in Switzerland and get lost, not advising this, of course, but providentially, a St Bernard dog comes along with a little barrel of whiskey attached to its collar, do not drink the whiskey. You'll quickly feel warm. But you know what that warmth is? It's just heat leaving your body. You'll end up being colder at your core, though temporarily you'll have felt warm. Sometimes we're not in the best position to know what's really good for us, But our dear Father in heaven, through his word, helps us to know. He provides for our uh, our deepest needs. And because we can trust him, we don't panic. In fact, this psalm beautifully captures a disposition of calm... Oh, don't panic, brothers and sisters, when things go wrong. It leads to bad decisions and impaired spiritual vision and potentially loss of faith. In fact, one of the wisest things that was ever said to me is we give in to the things we fear most. Because when we fear something, something that can really disturb us, we end up training ourselves to think that that thing that we fear has more power than we do to resist it. And we give up resisting. In fact, sometimes we welcome that fear into our home, into our lives. No, don't pursue panic, but take up the model from Psalm 21 that we have a path of peace. Knowing the providential keeping of the Lord. Eugene Peterson says, All the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship until the water gets inside. Instead of panicking or being anxious, Make sure every day you're finding opportunities to thank God for his daily mercies and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you as well. 
See, really what I'm doing in giving some talks on the doctrine of providence is raising the question, what's discipleship about? If we're not just forgiven sinners, but children of our Heavenly Father, discipleship's not fatalistically resigning ourselves to the world. It's not just superstitious motions. It's not resignation, but delight. If we're children of our Heavenly Father, then He is providing for us. He's not distant but close. He's not weak but strong. He's not distracted but vigilant. Christian discipleship is not about managing a force, but beholding a face. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We've given up writing songs about providence, though in ages past, Christians wrote many. And one that I love most of all is by William Cooper, a hymn writer with John Newton, who wrote many hymns about providence, probably generated by the fact that he led a life of great grief and depression. This one hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way, His Wonders to Perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. But for our purposes, the verse that is most powerful, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning circumstance, he hides a smiling face. We might look to the mountains and look to the hills and ask where our help comes from. Ultimately, of course, we know that that hill, Calvary, where Jesus' blood was shed, is the place we must focus our attention in the pilgrimage of Christian living. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. And now to him who is able to keep us from falling and to make us stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Hi, my name is Jonathan.